Let us bow our heads together now in prayer as we come to our topic of this day. Father, these are your words. They're not mine. But I'm very much aware that we need the empowerment of your spirit to understand what you're saying because things get so sensitive when we stand against things or when we're uh, for things that rub our culture the wrong way. People get all messed up and they think we're against people. Lord, we need your help through this passage today about relationships. There isn't any of us who can't stand a good review of this stuff today. So help us. Teach us by the power of your Spirit. Show us from your divine perspective how to have good relationships. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing in this tremendous book, New Testament book, a study of the book of Romans, and we have come to a very important transitional point in the book, chapter 12. The first 11 chapters were packed with stuff that is far deeper than any of us can understand. I mean, we grow in our understanding of these things as we keep studying these first uh, 11 chapters. But, but, you know, we were deeply involved in sin and needing salvation. We didn't even know how bad off we were. And the first several chapters talk about this and then God's miraculous in-depth plan to bring us salvation and forgiveness of our sin. His gospel, his good news, his plan of salvation was so incredible. It was described in these early chapters. We cannot understand the depths of his grace. And then he talked about how his plan was enacted on planet earth and how he chose us to be his children. And it's a beautiful description of his love and his mercy for all of us. And this was 11 whole chapters of all of this stuff, far beyond what we can comprehend, humanly speaking. We keep growing in our understanding as we study the chapters, but wow, this was big. Chapter 12 comes up as a result of all of this stuff God has done for us, opening verses we now dedicate our lives to him because he loves us so much, he's done so much for us, we have such an incredible salvation, we just give our lives back in service to him. And the next couple of verses after verses 1 and 2 talk about how he has given us individually spiritual gifts to minister to each other and to love on each other appropriately, and it It's a beautiful description of living out the exciting salvation that many of us in this place have experienced. Today we move beyond dedicating ourselves and the spiritual gifts that we have and we move to the next section, which is about our relationships together. How do we relate to one another? The first few verses about how we do relationships with each other. Generally, we get along. We're pretty good friends. We love each other. How do we treat each other? This passage describes that. And then the second half is how do we get along with those that we don't get along with so well? What is God's plan for that? We all need a good review on this stuff from time to time. Some of us are more relationally wired than others. Some of us are a little bit more wired for doing things and getting stuff done. Doesn't mean we're bad at relationships, it just means we're wired a little differently. I tend to be in that second group. I'm wired to get stuff done. And when I have to go back and think about relationships, there's a couple of passages in the New Testament I review. This is one of them, because it tells me how I need to be focused on treating people. 
and the second half of the passage, how I treat people that I tend not to get along with so well. If you can relate to that, which I think if we're honest, we all can, this passage is for you. I'm reading in Romans chapter 12, starting to read in verse 9. We'll put the text on the screens for you. Follow along as I read. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of lower position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So we've been saved by this rich message that God put together to save our wretchedly sin-sick soul, far sicker than we can imagine. And it's a great plan. It's amazing. But it's got impact in our lives, and it's going to change us. We respond to God by dedicating our lives fully to Him to use us in whatever way He wants. And He's given us gifts to minister to one another. But alas, there are relationships day to day. And we still have our sin natures, and we step on each other's toes. We agitate and we aggravate. Now, I know you and I don't do that to each other. Everyone else does it to us. Yeah. It's in us all, isn't it? I can't tell you how many times I've gone back and reread this passage to remember how I need to work on my relationships with the people around me, the ones I have pretty good relationships with and the ones that I do not. The first section is about people that generally I have good relationships with. These are other brothers and sisters in Christ, and for the most part, we relate together pretty well, and life is good, and we enjoy each other, we love each other, we pray for each other, we care about each other. In the opening few verses, verses 9 to 13, this passage reminds us how to keep relating to each other how to enrich our relationships. We'll get to the tougher stuff later, but these opening verses begin with how we nurture our ongoing relationships. It starts with a general principle. 
It's stated in verse 9. And then it gives us nine characteristics about the way we live out that love on a day-to-day basis. Let's start with the general principle. It's in verse 9. Uh, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is, what is good. Now, that is a very loaded statement for a principle. Love The word love, just pause there for a moment. This is the Greek word. Most of you have heard it before. Agape, it's a very pure love. It is a love of God. It is rich and pure and sincere as can be. And the text says, love must be sincere. This kind of love is the kind of love that is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love chapter. In fact, verses 4 and following give a pretty clear description of what this love looks like. That text says that love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. This is agape love, the kind of love that God exhibits toward us. And so we are told by way of general principle that we are to love each other with agape love. It's to be a sincere love. The word sincere is a word that means no hypocrisy, and it goes back to a word picture of Paul's time where in the Greek theater they would stand on the stage and they would different actors would play the different parts. The same actor would play different parts. He would or she would have different masks. One moment they're a good person, they hold up that mask and they act out that part. Then they put that one aside and they act out the bad guy thing. And so they have different masks. You are not to wear different masks. You are to have a sincere love, one mask, sincere love for each other, no room for hypocrisy. We all know what it's like to put on an act of love, don't we? Paul says, no, 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 no masks here, sincere love. And then his words become rather startling. Actually, in the phrase, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, I've underlined two more words, hate and cling. In the original language, they're what's called participles. Who cares what that means at all other than this? Those two words tell you how to love. That's the relationship in the language. We are to love sincerely by hating what is evil and by clinging to what is good. Look at that first one, hate what is evil. Does that feel like odd to you? Okay, you're supposed to love each other, so hate what's evil. So if you're going to love, you're going to hate? How do you do that? How does that work? Is this like an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp? You know, how can you have something that's small that's big? How do you love, but to love well, you have to hate something? This is exactly what the text is saying for your love to be sincere. How does that love work out? Number one, you will hate what is evil. You say, well, well, God doesn't hate. He, he's a God of love. Actually, God does hate. Real, pure, agape love hates what is evil because it's evil. Love won't tolerate that. 
Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16, lists seven things that God hates. Six things the Lord hates. It's a Hebrew little idiom in the language there. Six things he hates. Seven are detestable to him. Uh, It's saying there's seven things that he really hates. What does he hate? Honey eyes, a lying tongue. You lie, God hates lying. He doesn't hate you, he hates lying. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that is, devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into, into evil. And a false witness who pours out lies. A man who stirs up disunity or dissension among the brothers and sisters. God hates disunity. God hates lying. He hates false testimony. God hates, in the purity of love, love in its purest form will hate what is evil. That's what he's saying here. Here's a couple more things God hates. Amos chapter 5. I hate, God says, I despise your religious feasts and I can't stand your assemblies. This is in a context he hates our hypocrisy. You love somebody that's a hypocrite, but boy, you hate their hypocrisy. Pure love hates what is evil. Here's another one that he hates. Malachi chapter 2. Text is really clear. I hate, God says, I, uh, Malachi 2, I hate your religious feasts. Oh, I jumped. <laughs> that is the wrong quotation. Who put that in there? <laughs> Malachi 2 says, God hates divorce. Don't look at the screen. Look up what Malachi 2 says. It got copied from the previous slide. Sorry. That is not the tech guy's fault. That's Dan's fault. Okay? So just, just being clear on that. Wow. Must have been asleep on that. Amos 5 says that God hates the religious feasts and the hypocrisy. Malachi 2 says God hates divorce. Hey, let's be clear. He doesn't hate those of you that have been divorced. But he hates divorce because he made marriage to be a great relationship between two people. And Jesus was clear in Matthew 19. God allowed divorce because people's hearts got really hard and they wouldn't love like they're supposed to. They live in a fallen world and they just couldn't work out their differences. And the kids got crushed in the relationship breaking up. And God hates that because that's not the way he created it to be. He loves the people, but he hates what happened. God hates evil. If you're going to love like God loves, you will hate evil. This is how we love with sincerity. Wow. That's a little bit of a surprise. So to love like God loves, we will hate what is wrong. If God loves it, we love it. If God hates it, we hate it. That is love in its purest form. So we hate discrimination. And we hate pride. And we hate hypocrisy. And we hate war. We don't hate the people involved in those things. This is a a fallen world and people have gotten very messed up in this fallen world. And it hurts. Coming back to the sanctity of life principle that I stated right before the beginning of the sermon. The termination of a life of an unborn child. Christian churches have stood against this since 1973. We're not against the people. 
we're against the evil of what we see. Our hearts break for the people that are destroyed in this. Hurts so deeply. Of course, if you've experienced an abortion or you've participated in an abortion, of course you are welcome here to experience the mercy and the grace of God. Of course. Nothing could be more godlike. He loves us. The second participle in that passage isn't just that God hates what is evil. To love, we hate what is evil, but we must also cling to what is good. The word cling is actually the word that means to glue together. That's kind of interesting. I've taken a liking to this Gorilla Glue stuff. Have you seen that? That stuff is pretty powerful. Uh, I've seen it glue stuff that nothing else would glue. Now, this is not an advertisement for Gorilla Glue, but uh, real godly love will glue stuff together that nothing else in the world can hold together. This is godly love. We certainly are against evil in pure forms of love, and we certainly cling, cling to what is good. That is love. Gorilla glue. <laughs> um, now, now that the general principle is there, I mean, it, it's helpful to see the general principle. There, there's no question on that. Love must be sincere. Hate was evil. Cling to what is good. Now we have nine characteristics of how this fleshes out in day-to-day life. Here's what love that hates evil is like. Here's what love that clings to good is like. Here's the way it works out in day-to-day relationships. Here are the characteristics. There's nine of them. Now, I've underlined the nine. Be devoted is number one. Number two, honor one another. Number three, never be lacking and so on. Uh, Trust me, there's nine up there. If you get bored, you can count them, all right? But I'll tell you there's nine. Let's kind of blow through them pretty quickly, but get a good feel for what each one is representing. Here's what love for each other, the way we do life together, here's what it looks like. Number one, be devoted to one another. This is interesting, uh, be devoted to one another. It's actually another Greek word for love. It's not the word that was used in the last verse, agape. It's a different word, it's philao, from which we get our word Philadelphia, brotherly love. Now, Philadelphia isn't exactly acting right now as though brotherly love was predominant. You know, things aren't going real well in Philadelphia at this point. But be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There's our word, phileo. Be devoted. Be absolutely making it a high priority to act out brotherly love. Second characteristic, honor one another. The concept of honoring to demonstrate respect for each other. We will differ on some things, and we'll feel pretty strongly about it, but we still respect each other. It's like in a marriage, pretty hard for a husband and wife to get along if they don't respect each other. Respect. It goes a long way toward showing love, because love covers a multitude of sin, a multitude of differences among us. Honor each other. You are not instructed here to honor yourself. You're instructed here to honor each other. 
You say, well, what about me? Here's the way it works. If you're in a church of, let's say, 200 people, you're to honor the other 199. Well, what about me? All of them should be honoring you. For the first time in your life, you have 199 people honoring you. Doesn't that feel pretty good? As we learn to more deeply honor one another. The third characteristic is never be lacking in zeal. There's plenty of energy to keep loving people even when it gets hard in life. And life does get draining. It gets hard. It gets wearisome sometimes. But love keeps on loving. It never lacks zeal. Don't allow yourself to become discouraged. This is a 24-7, 365 kind of deal. Full-time job. you got to keep working at it and working at it. And this is what it takes to maintain good relationships among us. Never be lacking in our zeal, in our love for each other. The fourth one is keep your spiritual fervor. The idea is here, keep the fires going hot. You look at this word, the, the verbal form of this word, it's the idea of keep the pot boiling. That's pretty good imagery. So you're living life and you're loving each other, and then somebody, not you of course, but somebody does something that's dumb. Keep the spiritual fervor of love going toward them. We all make mistakes. Love each other. The next characteristic, number five, is be joyful. This is so hard. Days get tough. Hard to find joy some days. Emily and I were involved in a funeral service on Friday nights. Tough time. Meeting a lot of people. Knew this friend of ours. Uh, an attender of Calvary as he was able to physically. Uh, he attended for the last few years, and we got to be involved and share the gospel with the family. And that was hard, but it was good. Yesterday we were involved in another service. I guess we left at 8 o'clock in the morning, didn't get home till like 6.30 at night. It was a long day, a lot of... Death's hard to deal with, and you keep loving people. And we've all been impacted by... The passing of our, our dear friend, our brother Ralph. It's hard. In the midst of that, how do you find joy? That's part of our loving relationships. Because we know that our joy is not based in circumstances, it's a choice that we make. We choose joy because we know God is in control of these circumstances, and he has these dear brothers and sisters. We'll see him again. Keep working at the joy. It's part of loving relationships. The sixth one is patient affliction. In the midst of your suffering and the burdens of your life, just be patient with each other. They're going through difficulties. You're going through difficulties. Everyone around you is going through difficulties. Be patient with each other. Well, God, get out of it. Come on. Get on with life. I know that you know, you've had a hard time, but get on with it. Be patient. In the midst of people's sufferings and their burdens. Number seven is we faithfully pray for one another. Do not stop praying for each other. It's one of the greatest ways you have of demonstrating your love for your brothers and sisters. Number eight, share with God's people. We dig deeply into our calendars for time and we dig deeply into our wallets to help financially. And sometimes we're just not able to, but when we can, we sacrifice. And it's a privilege to do that for each other. This is how we maintain relationships. And number nine, we practice hospitality. 
Most of us have an idea what hospitality means in our culture, opening our homes and a hospitable attitude toward one another. But look at the first word, practice. The word practice means to press into, to chase it, to pursue it. Don't wait for it to come to you. You go after it. It's a sign of your love. Go after opportunities to show hospitality. So this is how we show our sincere love. This is how we show that we hate evil. This is how we cling to what is good. We live these kind of characteristics out in our lives. And all of this is possible because in the first 11 chapters of Romans, we realized we were in bad shape with our sin, far worse than we knew, and God had this amazing plan of salvation. He saved us, and now this is the way that we maintain our relationships with each other. Well, I suppose in some ways that's the easy part of the passage. Now we come to the part of the passage, the second half of it, starting in verse 14, where this is how we handle the tough ones. And we all have our tough cases in life, don't we? The people that are less than lovable. Sometimes they're less than lovable. Sometimes they're enemies. Sometimes they're just jerks. You know what it is in your life. There's a general principle first in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You will always have those people in your life that it's harder to get along with, and some of them will be downright your enemies. Some of them are outside of the body of Christ. They are people who will hate you. Now, if they hate you because you've done silly things or you've held silly actions, that's on you. Change it. But if they really hate you, it's just a personality clash, or they hate you because you love Jesus, how do you deal with them? This is that passage. It tells us to bless. Notice the word bless is used two times. Bless those who give you grief, persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless the ones that you're having trouble with. You need a strategy for handling them in your life? Of course you do. You know, there were people that persecuted Jesus. So Jesus loved them. He blessed them. He did not curse them. As he hung on the cross, his persecutors, what did he pray? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Bless them. Have you ever taken those people that stress you in your life and actually prayed God's blessing on them? God, get them! No, 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 no. God, none of us are getting all this right. You know we don't get along. Bless them, Lord. Take care of them. Do not curse them. This is the natural thing to do. It is the human thing to do. You are living beyond that now because of the first 11 chapters of this book and what God has done for you. Live beyond the the cursing. Bless them. And here are the characteristics that show that we are not cursing, we are blessing them. 
There are seven of these characteristics on this first slide. There are five of them, and I've underlined those five. We'll get to the other two in the next couple of slides. But again, there are five. The first one is rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's, it's a characteristic. You know, if, if the person you really don't like or is your enemy, they get a job promotion. They don't deserve that. Lose it. Lord, thank you for blessing them. Take care of them. Bless them. Rejoice with them. And if they lose their job, mourn with them. They got what they deserve. That's outside of the first 11 chapters of Romans. You're different than that. You act like Jesus. So, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The second one is live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. At the level you can, make some music with them, some delightful music. There's a chord in music. The augmented fourth is called El Diablo. Uh, the devil chord, you know, can't resolve it. it, it it's not nice harmony necessarily. Do the best you can to make some nice harmony. Live as best you can with people in harmony. Don't create more discord, more tension. Keep it as good as you possibly can. The third one is do not be proud. You know what proud's going to do to that other person. It's going to really tick them off. So don't be self-absorbed, don't be self-focused, position yourself with those who are of lower position. It's easy to think pridefully of ourselves. I've, I'll use this as an illustration. I've decided to use it. I've been debating, but I'll use it. This past week, I came out of my office back here, and I went out the side door. It was lunchtime. I was going to go home and see, see Emily for a few minutes, grab a bite to eat, and get back to work. And there was a gentleman out there. He was a homeless person. I've met him a number of times before, chatted with him. He has definitely made a decision that he doesn't want to live within the culture. He wants to live off the grid. He wants to live by himself. He doesn't want to live with people. That's his decision. It's not mine. It's his. Obviously, I disagree with that. I greeted him. and How you doing? It was raining out. That's why he was under our overhang out here. Just, I said, getting out of the weather for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And chatted and chatted for a few minutes. And then I went on my way with my day and he went on his way with his day. This is a good moment to remind ourselves to not be proud and think we're better than someone else. Nobody's better than anybody else. Nobody. So if you've got a tendency of doing that, just understand that's going to torque off those that you don't get, a, get along with. People who live differently, it's going to just torque them off. Don't live there. Don't act out of your pride. A little humility can go a long ways to communicate love. No one's better than anybody else. Sometimes we have to lose some bad attitude. It's not easy. 
Verse 17 can, contains the fourth of the characteristics. The text says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Don't repay evil for evil. The easiest thing in the world is to repay evil for evil. It's very natural. Don't go there. Be bigger than that. The first 11 chapters of Romans tells you why you can be. Because Jesus saved you from your sin, and you need now to exhibit his love. And people do you wrong. Don't repay evil for evil. Instead, the fifth one, live at peace with everyone. Back it up just a bit there. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at There are some people you can't live in peace with no matter what you do, but as far as it is up to you and your attitude and your pride levels that you exhibit, please live at peace with people. Christian leader that I respect, and I've shared this many times, he's used the illustration many times. You come up to a conflict in life or somebody you disagree with, you carry two buckets. In one bucket is water, the other bucket is gasoline. And as you come to that, that fire of conflict, you're going to throw one of those two buckets. You know what the gasoline's going to do to the fire. Throw the water. Live at peace. It's like Proverbs 15 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And generally speaking, you'll find if we can answer with gentleness, that will help to heal and reduce wrath. If you don't, the harsh word's going to stir up anger. In our next slide, we come to the sixth of the seven characteristics of living with difficult people, our enemies. And that is don't take revenge. It is so natural to strike back, to want to give evil for evil. But notice how this text is explicit. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Do you realize when you try to get even with somebody for what they did, you take it out of God's hands? Now, God will enact his vengeance perfectly, I'll guarantee your and my revenge will not be perfect. So do you want to do it your way or do you want to leave room for God's wrath? This characteristic is saying true love will leave it in God's hands. There is no room for seeking revenge. This is very difficult. We need to leave it in God's hands. This demands two things. Number one, it demands God's love in our hearts. In the same way in which Jesus prayed for the forgiveness of those who crucified him, we do not seek revenge. We pray for them and leave it in God's hands. The second thing that we need to pull this off is faith. We trust that God will take care of it. Nobody messes with God's kids. You're one of God's kids? Put it in his hands. You can't do it perfectly anyhow. Let him do it. He'll handle it perfectly. This passage is actually a quotation. Don't take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, here's the quotation, it is mine to avenge, 
I will repay. Yeah, let's go to that next slide because here's the quotations from Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. It is mine to avenge, God says, I will repay, says the Lord. It's quoted again in Hebrews 10, verse 30. For we know him who says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. We're getting the message, God takes care of his kids. Leave it in God's hands, don't take it into your own hands. When you take it into your own hands, you will only exasperate the problem. You will throw gasoline on the fire. It will not be perfect revenge. It might feel good for a few minutes, but you're going to really mess the situation up. Actually, the passage goes on beyond just the quoting of Deuteronomy chapter 32. The passage actually says, don't take revenge, my friends, leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. I want to kill him. I don't want to feed him. Jesus says, feed him. If there's a real need in your enemy's life, meet the need. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This is what Jesus would do. This is the results of the first 11 chapters of Romans in our lives. We've been saved. We've been changed. This is how we treat the difficult people. So we are to feed those who are against us. We are to give water to those who are thirsty. Give him something to drink. Do this, and you'll heap burning coals on his head. Oh, good, I'm going to do this. I'm going to... I'm going to tick him off by being super nice. No, you've got to work on that a little bit too. That's not exactly the attitude that is here. This last section is actually a quotation from Proverbs 25. Quotes Proverbs 25, 21, which says, If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals. There's the burning coals on his head. The Lord will reward you. Don't miss that last phrase. When you turn it over to God and you leave it with Him, He will reward you for this. Now, if these first six characteristics haven't been hard enough, the seventh one in the next slide is far harder yet. The final characteristic is do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're to look at those that we struggle with and who are even our enemies and we are not to simply allow their evil to overcome us. We are to use our love to overcome their evil. We are not commanded to simply not avenge ourselves. This characteristic takes it much further. Folks, first 11 chapters of Romans, when we were enemies of God, he exhibited, he exhibited incredible love. And he reached out to us in love. And his goodness overcame our evil. When you will respond to these people in your life with God's goodness to overcome their evil, this might be the first time they actually have ever seen the love of Christ. This is stuff is beyond human ability. It takes the salvation of God in our lives to change us and make us this way. Christians have been changed by God. We're different. 
we should not respond as the world does, or we're no different than them. The love that we have through Christ can overcome a multitude of evil things. Good can overcome evil. As I close today, I remind us that we all have relationships. Some of them are pretty good, and those are aided by Romans 12 here. Keep living the first nine principles or the first nine characteristics, and it'll help improve those good relationships. For the harder, the struggling relationships, we have this second set of seven characteristics. Romans 12 will help us with those things. So if things are going well at home or they're not, in your marriage, whether they're going well or not, Romans 12. In your job environment, with a boss or other workers, things going well, great, apply Romans 12, early part. Not going well, apply the latter part of Romans 12. People in your neighborhood, people of the community, whoever they are, going well, early verses, Romans 12. Not going so well, later part of Romans 12. Romans 12, it's how we treat each other. This is the way good and godly people respond because they have experienced the goodness of God in their lives. They have been changed. If you're here today and you don't know our good and godly God, a God who loves us in spite of our problems and our difficulties and our idiosyncrasies, in spite of our sins, if you don't know him, please come to him today. He loved you and he made a way for you to get to heaven. Your sin stands in the way. He punished his son on that cross for your sin. If you will open your life to him, he will come and forgive those sins. Based on what Jesus did for you, he loved you so much, he took your punishment. And he'll make you his child. His good will overcome the evil in your life. And you'll live with him forever. You could do that right now, sitting where you are at home, sitting where you are in this auditorium. Just pray, God, forgive me of my sin. I know it's between us. Forgive me. He'll do it. His good will overcome the evil sin of your life. You'll become a child of God. Bow with me, please. In prayer now, Lord, we come to you. Overcome the evil of our lives with your good so that in turn, your goodness flowing through us might overcome the evil that we experience in our lives and people may see Jesus in us and through us. Boy, Lord, it's so easy to get caught up and take it into our own hands. We surrender it to you today and say, help us. May your goodness flow through us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.